Hello, I'm Ken Bruce. I appeared as a guest on My Time Capsule, and after that I had to give up a job I'd had for 46 years. <sighs> anyway, they want me to tell you that they've started a thing called Acast Plus, where for a small monthly fee you can get the podcast ad-free. For me, I think the ad's are the best thing in it. That Fenton Stevens, he does drone on a bit. Anyway, whatever you like, do something and have a go at it. ACAS Plus, my time capsule. Thanks, Ken. Charming. Anyway, to get my time capsule ad-free and for a bonus my time capsule, the debrief episode every week, subscribe to ACAS Plus. Details in the description of this episode. Thanks. Bloody Ken Bruce, what a cheek. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right. Over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about Wix. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Hello again, and welcome to another episode of My Time Capsule. I'm Mike Fenton-Stevens, and in this podcast, I ask my guest to tell me the five little, seemingly insignificant things from their life that they would choose to preserve in a time capsule. They can pick anything at all. Four of them are things that they treasure, but one has to be something they regret and would like to see gone from their life. My guest in this episode is the wonderful actress Julie Graham. Julie has been a constant presence on our screen since 1986 when she appeared in Taggart. Since then, she's been in, well, too many things to mention really, so here are just a few. Strike It Rich, Dramarama, Casualty, The Bill, Spender, Bugs, Being Eileen, Doc Martin, Life Support, At Home with the Braithwaites, Between the Sheets, William and Mary, Miss Marple, Bone Kickers, The Bletchley Circle, Midsummer Murders, Death in Paradise, Doctor Who and Benidorm. And that's just on the telly. She's also been in a large number of films, including Tower Block, The History of Mr Polly and Nuns on the Run. During the recent lockdown, she got together with a bunch of actor friends such as Denise Welch, Angela Griffin, Tracy Ann Oberman and Tamsin Oothwaite and filmed, in their own homes with the assistance of partners and children, an entire television series, Done Breeding, which, well, because she had so much time on her hands, Julie wrote. So you can see how lucky I was that she could spare me the time to talk about the five little things from her life that she would put in a time capsule. Her list is as surprising and delightful as she is. I hope you enjoy it. Well, it's oh god, it was it was actually quite difficult this. So I kind of tried to be I tried to be linear in the order I put things in, you know, to span a life, which hopefully isn't over quite yet. <laughs> but um so the first thing that I put in would be this it was a an old pewter jewellery box that belonged to my mother. And it was one of those, you know, when you're a child, when you had, it's like a, it was a, a cheap old box, but it was like a treasure trove 
of paste, jewellery, old bits of, you know, blah. And she used it as her makeup box when she was in the theatre because she was an actress. Oh. So it had all sorts of things in it. It had um, those, you know, those pancake sticks that you used to use in the theatre. Yeah. Um, that were, you know, they were either lipsticks or they were, you know, they were used for shadow or... Um, and they had a particular smell as well. And they came in these little... Um, they looked like crayons that were wrapped in gold paper. Were they Leichner? Yes. That's it, yeah. Yeah. So th- there was all those knocking about, which I kind of used to use all the time. And it just, it had the smell of her. Um, the other thing was a Max Max Factor lipstick that all the all the actresses used to use for some reason. I don't know if they got a job locked. <laughs> and all the dancers, because she worked in variety in the theatre, all the dancers used to use them as well. So there would be that smell of, they just smell of, show business <laughs> you know yeah. and even now when i smell a, a max factor lipstick it takes me right back to kind of days when i was literally brought up in a dressing room you know backstage my mum was a single parent so i would often have to go to work with her and i'd be in and out the dancers dressing room annoying them trying to you know try on their clothes and they would always let me try on their jewelry and their wigs everybody wore a wig in those days hair pieces and the other thing she would have in there would be she had a, a a cork that had a sixpence shoved in the top of the cork, which was from her wedding day, which was quite a, quite a bizarre thing because, you know, she'd met my father, married him, had a child and divorced him all within four years. So it, 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 wasn't, it wasn't a hugely successful or indeed happy relationship, I don't think, um, by all accounts. But it was in there as part of this kind of treasure trove of stuff. And it also had a lighter in there that had her initials on it, BG, Betty Gillen. And it had a little old cigarette case because she used to smoke these, um, she used to smoke these lovely old lady cigars, we used to call them. I don't know what they were called. I don't know what the brand. Cigarillos? Cigarillos. Yes. (laughs) Oh, God, I hope I didn't meet your mum. Dad, <laughs> no, no. <laughs> Daddy, no, <laughs> no, you're far too young, darling. Um, and yes, yeah, so she used to smoke those, and and there were still a couple of them left in. They were all dried out and everything, you know. But I used to, I used to put them in my mouth and you know pretend to light the, the cigarette lighter, which had long since broken. Um, I used to, you know, kind of walk around with this piece of jewelry and. Sure he's smoking a bag. <laughs> You've not <laughs> changed much then. <laughs> <laughs> Just practice for adulthood, you know. <laughs> anyway, she, my mum died when I was 18 and um, I took a few belongings with me down to London when I moved there. And, uh, and that was one of the things I took with me because it always reminded me of her. And when I'd open the box, I would get this kind of aroma of childhood smells that would come out and, and remind me of her. Yeah. And the other thing she had in there was a, this beautiful pendant that she always used to wear around her neck that was bejeweled. And it had little gold tassels on the end. And you could open it up and you got a little bit of cotton wool and you sprayed your perfume onto the cotton wool and put it in the pendant. So you always had your perfume smell around you and the strangest thing is even though the cotton wool had gone it's almost like the smell of her perfume had just seeped into the actual metal of the pendant Mm. and I could still smell her and the really annoying thing is I don't know what that perfume is because I can't remember no one else can from my childhood remember what the perfume was that she used to wear you'd know it immediately though if you came across it wouldn't you I would and I've I never have which actually is quite nice because it's just it's such a unique smell for me. Mm. Um, but as I say, it just reminds me so much of her. And I carted this blooming box, tin box, around for for years and years and years, and it got bashed and battered. And and then when I had children of my own, they were the same. They just I had this little box and I filled it with all kinds of nonsense, you know, old things from my childhood, like a. Um, used to get these badges in the 80s that had uh, like Blondie's face on it or the Sex Pistols or <laughs> you used to wear them all in your bla- your school blazer, you know, and all those were in the box. And 
So my daughters were then playing with. So it was almost like a little bit of an heirloom. How lovely. Um, so Betty Gillen, what an extraordinary woman. Yeah, of course she was, yeah. I mean, a single mum in showbiz, I mean, real proper showbiz, doing cabaret almost, you know, and bringing you up. Yeah, she, she did variety and she also... Um, she was also in Scotland's first soap opera, which was a thing called, made by STV, Scottish Television. And it was, uh, it was called High Living. And it was about a block of high-rise flats. And there was a pub at the bottom of the flats. And she played Marilyn Lynch, who was Kipper Lynch's wife. And Kipper Lynch was a real rogue, you know. <laughs> and he was played by a, a wonderful actor called Phil McCall, who's sadly no longer with us, but... Yeah, and she would so she'd be recognised quite a lot because it was a soap. She was a soap star ostensibly, mm-hmm. and the really annoying thing about that is that STV had this very, very kind of cultural vandalism. Really, whenever their vaults would be get full, they would just destroy everything. So not one episode of it exists oh, in no. the world. They were all destroyed, all the tapes. Uh, that vandalism happened so often because tape was more expensive than programs almost and also to store them was very dangerous because they were quite flammable as well Mm. so yeah they're just gone it's just it's such a shame I mean I have vague memories of it and sometimes I meet people older than me who who actually remember episodes and stuff so yeah so she did that and then she kind of made a foray into kind of more serious theatre when she was a bit older um she worked with Billy Conley as well she did a play with him called a me with a bad leg tea with her and Bill Patterson played um, husband and wife, lovely Bill. In fact, it's so funny, whenever I meet Bill, and I, I, I've never worked with him, and I, I would love to work with him actually, but whenever I meet him, I bumped into him recently at a, a, a march for, um, oh, what, were we, what were we protesting about this time? I can't remember. It, it was it was the um, anti-Trump march. <laughs> well done. And I, we bumped into each other. And whenever I see him, he always tells this story about my mum. He always says, I'll never forget Betty. We'd be in the rehearsal room and there'd be all these kind of much younger actors doing their vocal warm-ups, you know, blah, 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 and all that sort of stuff. And Betty would say to me, right, come on, Bill, let's do a warm-up. She'd get a cup of coffee and a fag. <laughs> <laughs> and then she'd go, and then she'd put her arms up, and she'd go, to the ceiling, to the floor, to the window, to the door. And that was it. <laughs> <laughs> That's enough. Yeah, that was the warm up, and then they would get back to kind of gas bagging, you know. So whenever I see him, he always does this little dance for me, which is oh, which is so sweet of him. And whenever I see him, I just say, "Do the do the dance, do the dance." He's just lovely. So in a way, you hardly knew your mother as an adult. You were only eighteen when she died. So it's lovely to meet other adults, isn't it, in those circumstances who remember your your mother as she was rather than your mum. Yes, absolutely. It's lovely. And I, I, she worked with Phyllis Logan as well. Lovely Phyllis Logan. And um, yeah, Phyllis always used to tell me great stories about her as well. So yeah, it's, um, it, it's, that's the kind of nice bit about, I suppose, being in the same profession. And also she had a formidable uh, reputation. She was, she was quite scary and very outspoken very, very political. She was a real socialist and she was also on the board of Scottish Equity as well. So, you know, she kind of put her money where her mouth was. And I think she had quite a reputation for being terrifying. You know, young actors <laughs> used to go, oh God, I knew, I met your mother. She scared the shit out of me. <laughs> <laughs> so it was like kind of, you know, it was like going to a secondary school where, you know, you're, <laughs> your brother or sister had been the school bully. No one fucked <laughs> no. with you, you know. No, I think the headmistress. <laughs> Let's say that. Okay. Headmistress, okay. That's fair. So I had a kind of in when I started in theatre myself. I had um, I was surrounded by lots of people who knew her in Scottish theatre, which was which was absolutely lovely. Mm. So that that would uh, that's why I would definitely put in the time capsule because it's it just has so many connotations for me. Yes. I mean, it's got, it's got a, a feel and that smell, as you say, that, that is incredible, isn't it? You can't bring it to mind until you actually go and smell it. And then you know no. immediately what it is. My father had a makeup box, uh, although he was, a, <laughs> my father was a solicitor. So explain that. <laughs> <one>. <laughs> 
<laughs> That's another story. <laughs> yeah. There was a reason. Now, he liked to do uh, sort of a bit of, you know, amateur stuff at the weekend. A bit of Amdram. A bit of Amdram. But he, he had a large metal box. And I think I've still got it somewhere. And again, full of those sticks, the five and nine. They, they yeah. Used to be, yeah. Five and nine, then Lake. Lake was the one you put on if you wanted to look older. That's right. Yes. And they would always have pots of cold cream you know, pots of cold cream that they would cover their, you know, their faces would be, all the dancers and the actresses and actress faces would be all be greasy from taking the, the makeup off in the in the dressing room and stuff. Because it was a grease-based makeup, wasn't it, as well, which is yeah. unusual. Nobody uses that now. I know. Mm. And it's funny because my um, my mum started off in Amdram, actually. Um, she worked in, she worked for the gas board when she was very, very, very young. And um, she used to do Amdram in her local theatre. And she kind of got, I suppose she got headhunted to a certain extent. I think someone came to see her and said to her, you know, you really, you're very talented and you should think about turning professional. But when she was starring in shows, she used to do a lot of musical theatre and she, she always would always have the lead. Mm. And, uh, and my granny, who was so proud of her, used to organise a bus. She lives in Johnston, which is about five, ten miles outside Glasgow. And my granny would organise whole bus loads of, neighbours and relatives and friends <laughs> to go and see Be- our Betty in the theatre. Uh, you know, she was so proud of her. Uh, lovely. So, yes, yeah, so it was a real family affair. Oh, well, yeah, we'll definitely put that box in. That's a lovely thing to have in there. I think it's important to preserve it so that other people can appreciate just how how those sort of very simple things are incredibly powerful. Yeah. yeah. And also it's a bygone age, isn't it? All that kind of, you know, the the... the the variety is just gone now and it's yes. it's, it's really sad because it was just so rich and so wonderful mm. and such a great training ground for you know young actors dancers musicians it gave you a real discipline i think often working class actors people who you would either have the route i think sort of middle class and and upper class kids went off to drama school they would go to rada and things like that but yeah actually if you were working class the only way in was through variety i think or holiday camps those sort of things oh absolutely yeah i mean it was it was very much um it was very much a, a working class playground you know i mean there was often two things you could do after school if you were a great footballer you could do that or you could go into showbiz i mean it's it's a you know those were the kind of opportunities as well yeah um i don't know there's just something about this there's something about those old days of the theatre that it's just so, I don't know, I really miss them because they're just, they're, they are completely different. Yeah, happy days. Yeah. Well, lovely. That's um, that's good. So that's your first item in the time capsule. Okay. So what's your second item? Well, my second item would be, um, when I was a child, I was obsessed with dogs and I was never allowed one because my because my mum was allergic. And also I think she was a single parent and she thought, oh, God, can't be arsed with that. I'm going to end up walking in, which wouldn't have been true because I was obsessed with them. But anyway, we, we never had one. So the minute I left home and set up my own, you know, set up my own living arrangements, I had dogs. So my children have grown up with dogs and we've had two dogs. Uh, our, my first dog was called Diva and she was a little staffy and she was just the most incredible dog I got her in a pub and um she was the runt of the litter because she was a purebred staffy but uh, what happened was in the night one of the staff who was who were cleaning the puppies out had they were all wrapped in cotton wool and had accidentally put her out in the trash oh no I know oh no it's like a kind of Dickensian tale (laughs) sell the story to Disney (laughs) (laughs) Little diva. They had these these whimpers coming from a, the dustbin. Luckily, the guy heard it, went out, found her, and she was she was very very small. She kind of missed out on about a, a good twelve hours of her mum's milk, so she was quite runtish. And in fact, she was the runt. So no one really wanted her, and uh, you know because they, they cost a lot of money these these dogs. So I was chatting to the the, the guy who owned the pub, and he said, oh. I said, oh, I really want a, I really want a puppy. He said, well, we've got this one. No one wants her. That should make me even more sad. <laughs> and I remember kind of going to see her in the litter and all the other pups were asleep and she was just awake. She was staring at me and I just, I just fell head over heels in love with her. So I took her 
And shortly after that, we moved down to Brighton. So she was a real proper, I mean, she was well-named in Brighton, actually, Diva. It was so funny because we'd be walking down on the beach and we'd shout, we'd shout Diva and about five people would turn around, you know. <laughs> yeah? <laughs> and she became, she's just, she was a real character. I used to take her everywhere to, with me on film sets. Everyone knew her, you know, you stick her on film sets, you used to take her to the theatre. She was a proper kind of showbiz dog. And when I had stepchildren, she actually saved my stepdaughter's life. So when my stepdaughters were very, very young and they came, they first came to Brighton, they'd be going upstairs and Diva would walk behind them so that they didn't fall because we had these really steep stairs. And then there was one night my ex-husband had been reading a story to his daughter, Kitty, and she wasn't, she wasn't feeling very well. She was feeling a bit sick and he was reading the line, The Witch and the Wardrobe to her. And she fell asleep and Diva used to have the ritual of staying on the beds with her. And then we'd know that she was asleep because Diva would jump off the bed and come downstairs when she was fast asleep. So this night, as I say, she hadn't been very well. She had a bit of a temperature. We'd gone downstairs. Diva came down and stood in front of the TV and just looked at us and kept staring at us. She didn't bark. She didn't do anything, but she just wouldn't lie down. So we were like, come on, Diva, just come and lie down. What's wrong? She just kept staring at us. And my ex said, "There's there's something wrong ran upstairs and Kitty had been sick in her mouth, but she was fast asleep on her back and she was choking. Oh my God. So obviously he picked her up and she was fine, but I'm absolutely convinced, we were all convinced that Diva completely and utterly saved her life. Well, there's no other explanation really, is there? No other explanation. It didn't know that, that she was going to die, but it knew something was wrong. For sure. Yeah. Um, and then obviously when I had children, you know, right from the, the moment they were they were born she was just so protective of them and then you know I, we had a kind of series of very unfortunate events um kind of that happened in my life and the sort of culmination of was um diva dying but six months before she died we got um we got striker who's our little border terrier and he was just I was going through a really, really terrible time in my life. My friend Claire had died. Um, the father of my children had unfortunately taken his own life. Oh, um, we kind of had to move house. Our camper van went on fire. <laughs> there was a whole <laughs> litany of, you know, just horrible, horrible events. And then Stryker came into our lives and he was like this healing presence, you know. I mean, a real, he, he, he just had this kind of sympathetic little heart. And all through the, the kind of horribleness of, of the, that couple of years, he was just, I don't know, he, he, he was like a little healing dog, you know, like a, like a proper medical dog. Because, you know, I would get up in the morning, sometimes I wouldn't be able to get to, I mean, the only way I could drag myself out of bed was to go and walk him. So, you know. Yeah. So I think because dogs have been such a huge part of my life and um, they've almost like bookended my children as well. I um, I think I'd like to put their collars uh, in the in the. I mean, not them because mm-hmm. you know, I want them to be running free somewhere in doggy heaven. <laughs> <laughs> Striker's not dead yet, by the way. I'm just just, just Striker's still very much alive. <laughs> so I think um, I think when he goes, I'd like to put his collar and Diva's collar in, mm. um, just to remind us how absolutely amazing dogs are. Yeah. Because I just think they're, I just think they have this huge capacity to read our moods and and make us feel better and and. I think you're right. Dogs absolutely read much more about us than we can read about ourselves. I think. Yes, and also, and also, if I'm not well or one of the children's not well, Striker would just stay with me or one of the kids. You know, he doesn't want to go out. He doesn't want to do anything. He just wants to kind of hang out with us and make us feel better. So I'm just um. Yeah, I'm dog mad, so that I think that would be a, a lovely thing to put in as well. Yes. I'd go back to the publican at that pub and wonder if every customer who came in, he went, yeah, we put it out in the <laughs> trash, and uh, so somebody's got it. I, I think I'll probably have to get rid of it unless you take it for 200 quid. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sob story. It's a great way to sell them. <laughs> oh, you're such a cynic, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> anyway, lovely. Oh, Striker and Diva. I, I, you know, I've never had a dog in my adult life, and uh, I, I do love dogs. <gasps> Get a dog. <laughs> All right, <laughs> I will. Although I may have to lose a wife to do it. Okay. Mm. Well, uh, you know. <laughs> well, yeah. I'll think about it. It can be arranged. <laughs> Uh, brilliant okay we will put those two collars into the time capsule okay along with your mum's makeup box all right so what's next right we're going to take a short break here for the very exciting moment in any podcast the question is it 10 seconds of silence or an advert i won't keep you in suspense any longer we'll be back in a moment Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your Cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right. Over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome back. That was exciting, wasn't it? Anyway, let's get back to Julie Graham and discover what else she would like to put in the time capsule. Well, next is my friend, lovely friend, Claire Cathcart, uh, Irish actress who died um, about four years ago. She, I mean, she was my best, best friend in the whole world. And it was incredibly um, tough to lose her. Um, I don't know, you know, I've had quite, I've, I've experienced, experienced a few deaths in my life, but I think that one really, even more so than my mum, because my mum, it seemed, even though it was, it was a, uh, even though it was a, it was a tragic end. I mean, she was only 51 and I was only 18, but because she was quite ill for a long time, I had a chance, I guess, to say goodbye, uh, maybe to get used to it. Also, it's the it's the natural order of things, isn't it? You know, parents going before. But when Claire died, it was such a shock. It was so because it was very very sudden, and um, so it just shook me to my core. Absolutely devastated me. Um, I think it broke my heart. Actually, I don't think I'd ever had a broken heart, and it really it really broke my heart. Mm. And she was the most wonderful. Uh, incredibly alive, ironically, incredibly alive person I've ever met. She was raucously good fun. She swore like a sailor. She had the most fantastic sense of humour. Everyone knew her. I mean, we used to say, if Claire didn't know someone that was in equity, then that person, you know. They were lying. Yes. They're not really an actor. They can't be an actor. They don't know. Don't know Claire Carcar. (laughs) She knew everyone. She had time for everyone. She was a great mum to her two lovely young daughters and a brilliant friend. And she was a 
fucking great actress as well. And she never really got the recognition that she deserved, ever. She didn't work enough. But um, anyway, but she was the most special person. But she was also a prolific knitter. <laughs> I used to slag her off for it as well. I mean, for, for God's sake, I mean, she was so sexy and kind of fucking and, you know, that kind of, you know, like really, um, you know, voluptuous and all that sort of stuff. But she knitted, which I could never, I, I, I just, I, I can't get my head around knitting. I don't get it, but sorry, <laughs> knitters out there. Um, but she used to knit. So she would knit anyone who was expecting a baby. She'd knit them a whole, you know, set and christening shawls, clothes for her daughters, clothes for other people's children. And when my daughter, Edie, my first daughter, was born, Edie was, um, she was very premature. She was born five weeks early, which was very scary at the time. Mm. And uh, we didn't have any clothes for her because not these, none of these clothes fitted. So, so Claire set about knitting these kind of tiny little, almost like doll-like clothes, you know. <laughs> And one of the things that she knitted for Edie was this little pair of purple and cream booties. I mean, they were tiny, teeny tiny, that fitted on her tiny, tiny little, you know. And she was born in the winter as well. She was born in, you know, that horrible dark February weather, you know, right in the... And so they were just a sort of godsend. Mm. So I treasured them. And one night, very colicky like babies get, and it always kicked in at the same time, seven o'clock. And I used to walk around the block in a little baby, hope, you know, little harness and uh, stick the booties on, walk around the block to get her to sleep. And um, one night I came home and I realised that we'd lost the booty. So I sent my then husband off to sit up. I said, they're really precious. Can you go around the block and find them? He, went, he walked around the block. They weren't there. Or it wasn't there. Anyway, I was, I was, it seems really funny, but I was really devastated by it because, mm. um, I mean, Claire was still very much alive. So it wasn't like a sentimental thing. It was more, you know, she kind of knitted these lovely things and I wanted to keep them. And also I was full of fucking baby hormones. So <laughs> I would cry and lose my shit at the drop of a hat. <laughs> so everything was like, oh my God, you know, at the end of the world. <laughs> Anyway, I forgot about it. About two nights later, I was, Edie used to have a feed about three o'clock in the morning. And it was one of the loveliest times I used to find with the baby. I used to take her downstairs and I used to sit in this old chair that I had in my living room. And I used to breastfeed and there was something about that time of the morning. It was almost like the dead of night, but, you know, just on the cusp of morning where it was just me and my baby, and it, there was just there were, you can never get those times back. They're just so beautiful. I heard someone put something through the letterbox, and I thought that's very odd. And I got up, and there was the booty <gasps> just lying on the floor. Oh my word! And I was anyway. I opened the door, looked out. There was nobody there. There was nobody around. It was just the oddest thing, and. I still can't explain it. I mean, I, I just call that person the booty fairy. Yeah. Because I, I, I still don't know to this day who picked it up, who found it, who put it through the door, how they knew it was mine. It was the most bizarre thing. So I got it back and then um, I, I, I've hung on to them. Mm. And then when my second child was born, Sid, Claire knitted another pair of booties. And I guess they remind me of her. And also remind me of my children and how much I, you know, how I love, how I love them and how much I clung to them when Claire died, because I just thought life is just so fleeting. You just don't know what's going to happen, when it's going to happen. You've got to hang on to those precious people as much as you can. So I would, I think I would put the booties in there because they remind me of Claire and they also remind me of my kids. Lovely story. I love the booty fairy. I know. So people, I think, actually take notice of children oh, without realising they do. You know, they, they yeah. You look and you go, I know whose booty that is. That's that little tiny little baby. She's, uh, <laughs> yeah. They would have recognised it. Yeah, it's a lovely human connection, isn't it? Mm, isn't it? My friends Rachel and Guy have got um. Their, I bought their son a teddy, and he's very attached to it, and. They got so terrified of losing it, they went out and bought about three more just in case. It won't work. 
I can tell it you won't it, work. it won't work. Because it's the smell. It is the it's smell. It's the smell and the feel. Yeah, you can't you can't pull the wool over their eyes. No, no, absolutely. Yeah, I learned to knit, uh, I have to say. Did you? Yeah, I did, yeah. And, I wouldn't uh, have taken you for a knitter. No, no, I don't think I am now. I can't knit now. I'm sure I've forgotten how to do it. But for a little period, I just used to knit. And I'm rather ashamed to say that that I once did the most outrageous piece of upstaging with it. <laughs> but I'm not ashamed. You I'm, upstaged? I me ashamed? <laughs> Are you ashamed? <laughs> no. I was on Not the Nine O'Clock News years and years ago, and I saw this sketch back, and I looked at it and thought, oh, my God. All the way through it, I'm knitting. That is such a, a terrible upstaging thing to do. And how they let me do it. God knows, how did they let me do it? Oh, it's fantastic. <laughs> I must remember that, actually. Yep. Knitting, okay. Lovely. So let's put those, did you say purple and, and cream? Purple and cream, uh, the booties, and then the other ones are these kind of mad multicoloured ones with tassels on. So. Lovely. Right, we'll put both pairs into the time capsule. Okay. Uh, what's next? Okay, there's a theme. I know it's probably cheating because I'm putting kind of double things in, aren't I? I'm putting two <laughs> two pairs of booties, two dog collars, and terrible, a box full of stuff. I'm so greedy. Um, I think the other things that I would put in would be, so I've had two VW camper vans. My first one was called Tallulah, and the one that I've got now is called Wilma. <laughs> so I've always loved VWs, whether they be camper vans or VW Beetles. A Beetle was my first car. So I've obviously got this thing about Volkswagen. Volkswagen, if you're listening, I'm open to you, you know you <laughs> sending me anything you like. Um, so I have, I've always kind of had a bit of an obsession with them. Carmen Gears is the other one. Oh, they're absolutely gorgeous. I've always wanted one of them. Haven't had one of them. If anyone's listening. Um, <laughs> so for me, these camper vans have just meant utter freedom, you know, uh, I I love them so much because they're like they've got personalities. They're not just like boring old cars or vehicles. They're they've got real personality to them. Such character, and they sort of imbue people with this um, great sense of goodwill. So when people see you on the road, they they toot at you and they wave and they, you know. Uh, you flash, obviously there's, a, there's the camper van flash that you do to each other when, you know, one camper van goes by and it's, you know, God help them if they don't. Uh, and there's the, the camper van hand signal and, you know, there's all kinds of, there's all these kind of rules of the road. But if you break down or if you're, you're in trouble, you've, you're just inundated with people trying to help you. <laughs> <laughs> also, I, I think because my camper van, um, Tallulah, was pink, I think that was that was a kind of extra, you know, extra dose of cuteness. What you're saying that a, a pink camper van with a gorgeous young actress in it is <laughs> for some reason people stop to help. I know. I don't. Who who can fathom it? <laughs> <laughs> so I had camper vans before I had children, um, not dogs, obviously. But um, and I used to. Whenever between jobs, I would just take myself off in the camper van around. I'd go to drive through Spain and drive through France, uh, up through Portugal. I had these fantastic trips in the camper van. There was just it was just total freedom. Um, off road, you can you know you don't have to go to campsites. You can just kind of go wild camping. And also when I had then when I had kids, they just absolutely. I mean, the camper van to them was like a huge Wendy house you know, endless, endless hours. In fact, sometimes they'd, they'd play in the camper van when it was just parked on the street outside the house. It's a kind of, it sounds like a big Wendy house. And feels like you're on holiday. It's like, yeah, they're, they're like kind of portable cottages, you know. You've got your bed there, you've got your tea and coffee facilities, maybe the odd bottle of wine knocking about. <laughs> um, the kids' blankets and there's a whole, you know, the dog bed, the dog bowl that's specifically for a camper van. Obviously, it's got a camper van on the dog bowl. <laughs> and, I mean, I could spend hours and hours and hours in camping shops as a terrible camping bore. <laughs> and, in fact, when Martin Clunes and I did William and Mary together, he was obsessed with camper vans as well. He had a camper van and I had a camper van and we would go into each other's trailers and pour over these it's almost like camper porn, you know, these, these magazines, one that's called Just Campers, and we go, oh, look at, oh, look at that 
awning. Oh, it's amazing. <laughs> We'd get camper envy, you know? <laughs> so we bonded over our love of camper vans and dogs, actually. But, um, but there was just something, and I used to drive down to his house sometimes, and we would kind of go off in our camper vans and go on these kind of little, you know, trips. And it was just such good fun. And as I say, just this feeling of freedom that you have. You have the life that I'd like. Uh, well, why do I not have it? I haven't got a dog. I haven't got a camper van. What's going on in man? I, I, it's all going wrong. These things are easily fixed, Mike, for goodness sake. <laughs> but also, I, I think when you've got children as well and you've got this kind of, you know, it, it makes them, I suppose camping does anyway, but I, I, don't, I don't camp. I don't do tents. I don't do nylon. No, thanks. <laughs> it's not me. Um, I, need, I, need my, I need my camper van. I'm a camper van diva. But um, it's great for the kids because it kind of makes them less precious, you know, when you kind of just turn up in a, in a wood and you say, right, go on, bugger off for a couple of hours. Don't come back until you're hungry because we've got to set up camp. And there's just something about that. that I don't know. It just makes them less precious, less fussy about things. Um, and they've, they've been brought up with them. So, And unfortunately, I, I mentioned before that so at the end of these kind of this terrible couple of years that I'd had, my lovely camper van Tallulah, who was, that was parked outside my house, on bonfire night, a firework burnt her to the ground. <gasps> that bonfire night, that year particularly, it was very, very, very dry and actually very warm, unseasonably warm for that time of year. And yeah, and it just, it just sent the whole thing on fire. We were absolutely devastated, me and the girls. And we were just like, oh my God, it was, it was horrible. Because it, it happened about two o'clock in the morning. And it'd obviously been simmering for a while. You know, we were unaware that it happened. And suddenly there was just this fireball outside our, our house. Wow. And poor old Tallulah was um, burnt to a crisp. And she kind of lay like a beautiful wreck outside our house for a kind of six months until the council came and kind of towed her away because she was a bit of an eyesore by that oh, point. Oh, but, but it's, a, it's a glorious end, isn't it? It's better than the big end going or something. Absolutely. And I, I, somebody spray painted, because um, she became a kind of target for um, graffiti artists. I mean, I love graffiti. I think it looks fantastic if it's done properly, but she became a bit of a target. And one of these graffiti artists had um, spray painted, all good things come to an end, which I thought was quite a fitting epitaph for... <laughs> For, for Tallulah. So when I was in Benidorm, about, so about a year later, the makeup artist uh, happened to mention that her husband had a camper van and that they were thinking of selling it. Well, she, she was thinking of selling it for <laughs> him. <laughs> that old chestnut. Yep. So she said, please buy it, please buy it. I'm dying to get rid of that bloody thing, you know. So... The next thing I knew, I had a I had a brand new camper van. A VW. VW, 1974. Oh. Again, you know, tons of personality, a completely different kind of interior and everything, but just, I felt like I had my kind of, I don't know, felt like I, I'd got back in the saddle, you know, and mm. I'd given my freedom again. So yeah. the kids were over the moon that we had a new camper van. And then when I met my now husband, Davey, he, I think it was one of the reasons that he fell in love with me, actually, was because I had a camper van. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it says something about people. You, it means you're not precious. It means you're not yeah. one of those people who's going to say, I can't possibly do that because it'll mess my hair up. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But Davey, Davey's obsessed with bloody Wilma now. You know, I feel like there's three people in our marriage, <laughs> you know. Goes out and lovingly cleans her every day and gazes at her and sort of talks sweet nothings into her <laughs> big end. <laughs> so, may I please? Can I have half of Wilma and half of half of Tallulah welded together and yeah. put into put into my time capsule, please? <laughs> yes, all right. I don't mind. And it means that I'd get both. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I know it sounds ridiculous, but I'd get both um, number plates from each because there'd be yeah. one on the front and one on the back. So Okay. All right, then. As long as you invite me to come with you on the first trip. Okay, I promise. All right, then. Then I'll let you All do right, it. Deal. <laughs> okay, right. In they go, into the into the time capsule. Fantastic. Okay. We've got one left, Julie, I'm afraid. Isn't that annoying? Yeah. But uh, it's also the one that uh, that you really want to get rid of. Oh, well, I thought about this long and hard. and. I don't have actually many things that I want to get rid of in my life. Um, I think, 
you know, I kind of, I'm quite a kind of optimistic, positive person. So, but I thought about it long and hard. And the one thing I think I would like to bury with a hatchet stuck in its head. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God, I'm frightened now. (laughs) All right. It's not, it's not a politician. Um, It's the menopause. (sighs) It can absolutely go and fuck itself in the arse. It's, it's just, it's horrible. And I, I, you know, and I'm, I'm one of the lucky ones. I've had quite a kind of easy time of it to, to, to a certain extent. I mean, only because I'm on, I'm, I'm on HRT now. I mean, you'd have to grab them from my cold, dead hands. Um, <laughs> it's absolutely saved my, my sanity. But I just see these glorious, sexy, wonderful women suffering so much because of it. Mm. And also, I, I. I kind of hate this kind of societal attitude towards it as well, that somehow when a woman goes through menopause, that's, that's it. You know, she's kind of shut up shop, so to speak, which is absolutely not the case. And I, I would defy any person to kind of say otherwise. Mm. Um, but there's, there certainly still is the stigma attached to it. And I think it comes from, it's a generational thing as well. I, I always remember my, my sort of aunties and, not my mum so much, but my auntie's um, talking about it in almost hushed tones, you know, and it was called The Change, and she, oh, she's going through The Change. And wow, yeah. know, there was something almost, um, they were almost ashamed of it, you know, like it was a kind of terrible secret that nobody really talked about. Most things involving women and their bodies have been regarded that way forever. It's only recently that people talk about menstruation, they talk about the menopause, they talk about yeah. all sorts of things and actually encouraging people to, you know, go and be tested for cervical cancer and uh, breast cancer and those sort of things. Absolutely. And also I think there was this big scans, you know, there's obviously a big, it's, it's very, it is concerning, but there was a big cancer scare around the HRT. And so a lot of women got very, very scared and, and sort of stopped taking it. And, um, and that was just, that was just bad medical advice. Mm. Some women, of course, can't take it because it's dangerous if they've got a history of breast cancer. But for the majority of people, it's very, very safe. And the the upside is that it it takes all the symptoms away. And the downside of not taking it is that you know you can lose your mind. You can lose your mind. Mm. I mean, I have never felt such rage. <laughs> I mean, honestly, you know, the rage and the mood swings and the I mean, I didn't get all the sweaty stuff and all that sort Did of stuff. Did you not get the flushes and everything? I didn't get the flushes, but I mean, I could have murdered a whole shop full of people in Marks and Spencers. Yeah. I mean, you know, give me a machete. I would have cleared it in <laughs> two minutes flat. I mean, I have to say from my experience, those flushes are pretty awful. And that's, that, and that's the other thing. It's not just that the menopause affects the woman. It affects everyone in the family. Mm-hmm. So, you know, your mother... Well, you know, your mother will experience it, your sister, your your wife, your daughter, you know, it's all that kind of thing. It does affect the whole family. I mean, my children used to look at me like I was I was losing my, my mind, which I, I think I was for about six months. It can go on for years, can't it? It can go on for years and years and years. And people are still very reluctant to talk about it. And I want to shout it, even though I want to bury it mm. just as a concept, I do want to kind of shout it from the rooftops and say, it's just a thing. And if you can take medication and it helps you bloom and take it. Yeah. And also just this kind of stigma, stigmatizing around of women, how somehow they aren't sexy or they're, they're done breeding to a certain extent. They're kind of no use anymore. Just infuriates me. Men, when they get older, they become like, well, like you, Mike, you know, silver foxes. (laughs) <laughs> Bit of a god, yeah, yeah. <sighs> they become revered gods, and <laughs> you know they're they're wise and they're you know they're they're powerful, and somehow they they they've they've lived all this life experience, and they should be revered. Mm. Absolutely, I agree with that. But so should bloody we. Maybe more so. Men just uh, go through life, and everything just slightly slows down, but. Uh... I have to say, all the things that I've seen <laughs> involving women are things that I'm so glad I didn't have to go through. Childbirth, <laughs> <laughs> the period, every month, 
Oh, my God. Yeah. And then the menopause. I mean, of course, I know. being a man, I've lived in complete ignorance of these things all my life until I've come across them. Yeah. I mean, thanks. Yeah. Thanks very much. Who, you know, whoever thought of the bloody menopause. And apparently, this is a fun fact, there's only two species in the whole world that go through menopause, and that's human beings and whales. <laughs> Any other creature that reaches menopause dies. So what you're saying is, if you see a 55-year-old a whale, <laughs> avoid it. <laughs> like the plague. Because <laughs> it's going to upend your boat. If you, see, <laughs> if you see the sea steaming around a whale. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> They're having a hot, big, hot flush. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I am very happy to put your menopause and uh, and I don't mind. Everyone I'll, else, I put them all in. I put the whole thing in. Yeah, don't don't not just mine. Put everyone's in. I'm, I'll be doing everybody <laughs> a big massive favour. Well, all right. It's really supposed to be something specific to you, but I. <laughs> all right. I'm happy. Well, mine then. I'll take it. <laughs> okay, <laughs> just get rid I mean, of you mine. Take it. Let the others <laughs> suffer. I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> well, you've come across so beautifully. <laughs> oh, <laughs> so far. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Julie. Yeah, no, I'm happy to do that for you. I think Thank it's only fair much. because uh, I have I have witnessed it, and I also remember, in a way, now retrospectively, I remember my mother going through the same thing, and yes. thinking that she was going mad. Yeah, and and of course, nobody explained it to us. Nobody ever mentioned what she was suffering. She was almost hospitalised. For she was almost sent to a home because she was so, as you say, it can make people go mad. How awful! Mm. And also, I, I and also, what happens very often is that a, I mean, my teenage daughter happened to be going through puberty when I was going through menopause. Oh. So there was that happens a lot. And when I look back on my relationship with my mother towards the end, it was quite fraught because she was going through menopause, which wasn't mentioned, and you know, and I was a you know, hormonal nightmare. So yeah. th there's a huge clash, clash of the hormones. So when I say about women having problems, you're talking about going through adolescence, then going into uh, <laughs> having babies, which is fairly yeah. helpful, and then having postnatal depression. Then you deal with teenagers, <laughs> and then you hit the menopause. So uh, <laughs> life starts at 70, is what we're saying. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely yeah <laughs> oh Julie well it's been absolutely gorgeous talking to you uh, and thank you so much and you Mike that was a lovely afternoon oh. you have been listening to My Time Capsule with me Mike Fenton-Stevens and my guest Julie Graham yeah I'm disappointed it's finished as well still there are other episodes if you fancy it because you can subscribe to this podcast on Acast, Spotify or Apple Podcasts or the provider of your choosing to hear all other episodes and to receive each new episode on the day of release. If you have the time, we'd love it if you would rate us and leave a review. And you can follow us on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook at MyTCPod or at Fenton Stevens for all the latest news about upcoming guests and a regularly updated weather report. No, actually, it's just the guests. This podcast was produced by John Fenton Stevens, and the music is by Pass the Peas Music. It was a cast-off production. Thank you for listening. And if you're wondering, showers will be moving in overnight from a westerly direction, followed in the morning by hurricanes, locusts, and a plague of frogs. Bye. <laughs>